Welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. Good morning, my name is Micah. Uh, Open in your Bibles to the book of John. We're starting a new series today, which is going to take us all the way through Easter. So for the next five weeks, we plan to look at different passages in the Gospel of John, uh, leading up to and surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection. Today we're going to look at the resurrection of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we just sang, oh praise the one who paid our debt and raised this life up from the dead. What an amazing chorus for Lazarus to be singing that in your presence right now. We love you, Lord God. I ask that you would speak to us in your word, that you would impress upon us the fact that you, our Savior, is the life and the resurrection. We pray this in your son's name, amen. In this part of John, in John chapter 11, that we're going to look look at today, this takes place, what we're going to read about, just weeks prior to uh, Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. So we're at the tail end of Jesus' life where we're starting this series. In the previous several chapters of John leading up to this, the people's rejection of Jesus had reached a boiling point. Several times in the previous chapters of John, Jesus made direct claims to be God himself. And each time he made such a claim, the people around him picked up stones to stone him. They didn't just reject Jesus' claims to be God, they hated him for making such claims. And so because of this, Jesus no longer entered Jerusalem because he knew that the next time he stepped foot in that city, it would be his last. So here in John chapter 11 today, Jesus' good friend Lazarus, who lived just outside of Jerusalem in a town called Bethany, Lazarus became sick and he died. And Jesus purposely delayed going to Lazarus for a couple of days so that he could give the world a taste of what only God can do. Lazarus died. Jesus was going to resurrect him. This miracle that we're about to read is the seventh, and it's the final miracle listed in the book of John. Jesus performed tons of miracles during his time on earth, but John only records seven of them. Seven is a profound number in Scripture. It's a number of completion, of fulfillment. And so what better way for Jesus to wrap up his ministry with this seventh, this final miracle of bringing a dead man back to life only weeks before he himself becomes a dead man and comes back to life? Read with me in John chapter 11. We're going to start in, verses, in verse 17, and it's a big chunk of Scripture. We're going to read 17 all the way through verse 34. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said to him, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. In the beginning of our passage in verse 17, it tells us that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days is significant because the Jews believed that a person's soul hovered over a body for three days, hoping to re-enter it. But because Jesus delayed coming to Lazarus, because he had been dead for four days, the people would have believed that Lazarus' soul no longer had a body to re-enter. It was now just a rotting corpse. And even though Jesus delayed coming to see Lazarus, he still came. Even though the town of Bethany in verse 18 says that it was only two miles away from Jerusalem, only a 30-minute walk from where Jesus knew he would be killed the next time he entered. But he comes anyway. Lazarus left behind two sisters, Martha and Mary. Every time we read about these sisters in the Bible, Martha is the active one. Mary is the passive one. Martha is a doer. Mary is a, compt- a contemplator, a thinker. We see that here in verse 20. Martha said, it, or it says that Martha went out to meet Jesus, but Mary remained seated in the house. Two sisters, both of them deeply loved Jesus, yet both of them very different. 
Martha said to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is not a rebuke to Jesus. This is a mix of Martha's grief and faith. Martha's devastated. She knows Jesus could have saved Lazarus. She, show, she knows that Jesus is who he claims to be, but she's also devastated. Her brother Lazarus is dead before his time. Jesus could have prevented it, but he didn't. We've had some heartbreaking deaths here in Northfield recently. Some of you have been devastated by your loss. And it is absolutely acceptable to cry out to Jesus, you could have prevented this. He could have. He is that powerful. This is a cry of faith. A lack of faith would say, well, Jesus, I guess there's nothing you could have done. That's a lack of faith. But Martha's comments showed faith. She says in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha doesn't say, Jesus, you could have stopped my brother from dying. You didn't, so you're just a fraud. She said, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha's faith comes out more and more in the midst of her sorrow. In her grief, she doesn't lose her faith. She clings to her faith in Jesus. In verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Now, you and I know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus means here that he's about to raise Lazarus this very day. But Martha doesn't know this. So to her, Jesus saying, your brother will rise again, is kind of a nice generic comment that someone makes when a person dies. Kind of the equivalent of saying, he's in a better place now. It's nice. It doesn't really do much to help the person feel better. So Martha replies in verse 24, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. In other words, Martha confirms the mainstream belief at the time that even the Pharisees held, the belief in the resurrection at the end of the age. She's basically responding to Jesus's, what she thinks is a generic comment, and she's responding with a generic reply, yes, I know, he's in eternity now. To which Jesus then makes an even bolder statement. In verses 25 and 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is one of the most profound statements that Jesus makes in all of Scripture. This is the kind of statement that caused the Jews in the previous couple of chapters to pick up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Jesus is claiming that the power to resurrect from the dead comes from him. He's claiming that he is the very source of life. He's claiming that those who believe in him will never die. Jesus is claiming here in no uncertain terms to be God. Do you believe this? He asks Martha. She answers him in verse 27 saying, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Martha's answer in this short reply 
reveals a level of faith that I hope to have when times are at their hardest for me. Martha makes four bold statements here in this response. Yes, Lord, she says. She calls him Lord, Master, the supreme authority. She says, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. She calls him the Son of God, deity. And she finishes by saying, who is coming into the world? In other words, he's the fulfillment of Old Testament uh, prophecy. He's the one who's been promised ever since the first sin of mankind back in Adam and Eve's day. Martha said this in the time of her greatest sorrow. Her brother had just died. She knows Jesus could have prevented him from dying. She could have walked away from Jesus, blamed Jesus, but instead her response to Jesus was almost as profound as Jesus' claim to her. She said, you are master, you are the anointed one, you are the very son of God, you are the one who is promised. That's the faith of Martha. It's a faith that remains an example to every one of us today. When life is most painful, most sorrowful, most disappointing, don't walk away from your faith. Don't walk away from Jesus. Run to Jesus. That's what Martha does here. In verse 28... Martha calls her sister Mary, and she tells her, the teacher is here and is calling her. So Mary rose quickly, verse 29 says, and she went to him. And the Jews that were with her to comfort her, they followed her. And when she gets to Jesus, Mary does what Mary always does. She falls at his feet. Remember earlier I mentioned how Martha and Mary were very different Martha was always busy, and Mary was never too busy to be at the feet of Jesus. That's where Mary is every time we see her in Scripture. All three times that she's mentioned in the Bible. The book of Luke tells us that she was at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. Here in John chapter 11, she's at the feet of Jesus in sorrow. Next week, we'll see her at the feet of Jesus in worship. Martha's sister, Mary, is always at the feet of Jesus. After falling down at Jesus' feet in verse 32, Mary said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Those are the exact same words that her sister Martha said earlier, back in verse 21. Reflecting the same faith that both sisters have in Jesus. Two sisters with very different personalities. Martha is a doer. Mary is a thinker. Who is the better Christian? They were both godly women. Some of you in here are doers. Some of you in here are thinkers. I don't care what your personality is. There is no one way to live out your life as a Christian. But there is only one faith that makes you a Christian. Martha and Mary both had that faith. Both of them cried out to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
during this time, when somebody died, it was customary to have people come help mourn their death. Friends would come mourn. It was also common to pay people to come mourn. Their job was to make a public display of sorrow. In other words, they were to cry loudly. So when verse 33 says, Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, this was the custom. Cry loudly to let everybody around you know that a tragedy has taken place. Verse 33 goes on to say that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved is better translated at being upset, angry. He was angry and he was greatly troubled. That term greatly troubled was used when Herod was given the news of Jesus' birth. Herod was greatly troubled, and he killed all the boys in the region two years old and younger. The disciples were greatly troubled at seeing Jesus walk on water. They shook with fear. That's what greatly troubled is. So when we read here that Jesus was deeply moved and greatly troubled, it doesn't mean that he was just touched at the display of sorrow. It means that he was disgusted over the display of sorrow. It was fake. It was mere tradition. Half the people crying probably did not even know Lazarus. They were paid mourners. These people didn't love Lazarus. They were just going through the motions. Jesus, on the other hand, loved Lazarus. We see that. In verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept in a way that was the opposite of those around him. And the way we know that is the word used for weeping that the Jews were doing in the previous verses, it means to wail loudly. The word used here in verse 35 where it says Jesus wept, it's a different word. It means to sob silently. While the people were making a public display of loud crying, Jesus made no public display. He broke down in tears silently over his dear friend Lazarus because he loved Lazarus. Why did Jesus weep at all? Why weep? He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a matter of minutes. So why did he even bother to cry? Because death stinks. Death is disturbing. Death is not how it is supposed to be. We were created for life, not death. Jesus wept for the same reason you and I weep when we lose a brother or a sister in Christ. Even though we know we'll see them again. Even though we know that they are more alive than we are in the presence of our Savior right now. We weep because we miss them. Because death is not right. Because it's not the same without them here. Because we love them. Jesus loved Lazarus. So he wept. Not loudly, not obnoxiously, not for show. He wept silently. Our Savior broke down sobbing over the death of a dear friend because our Savior hates death. He loves life. He loved Lazarus. He loves you. 
His display of sorrow was so different from the windbags all around him, weeping and wailing, that the Jews in verse 36 marveled. They said, see how he loved him. Jesus is just as Isaiah described, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Not aloof, not indifferent to your struggles and sorrows. He is so caring, so loving, that even though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, right then he still was intimately affected by tragedy because he loves us. So Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. And in verse 39, he says, take away the stone. And notice Martha's response. This is the same lady back in verse 27 who gave the most incredible words of faith in Jesus. But here in verse 39, Martha says, by Lord, this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead for four days. Martha has just been crushed by tragedy. And opening up Lazarus' tomb is more than she can bear. Her brother's body is already rotted. It's going to stink. It's going to be overwhelming. It's going to be a crushing embarrassment on top of an already crushing loss. Martha's faith is profound, but it's not perfect. She believes Jesus is Lord. She believes Jesus is the Christ. She believes Jesus is the Son of God, the one who was promised. But when it comes time to put that faith into action, when it comes time to roll away the stone, Martha says, wait, 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 Jesus. Not so fast. I can relate. In verse 40, Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus knows what he's about to do. It's time for him to do it. But before he acts, he prays, thanking the Father for hearing him. He prays not for his own good, but on account of the people, verse 42 says, that they may believe. And in verse 43, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The God who spoke all things into existence. The God who came down into his creation to become the resurrection in the life. The God who created Lazarus cried, come out. And Lazarus came out. Still bound with linen strips, his face still wrapped with a cloth. His rotting corpse, instantly a living body. Charles Spurgeon said it was a good thing Jesus called Lazarus by name because if Jesus would have simply said, come out, every corpse from every tomb, from every graveyard would have come back to life because when our God speaks, his words have power. Lazarus came out. Lazarus continued to live his life again. And many of the people went back to Jerusalem where they had come from. And they told the authorities what had happened. In the seventh and final miracle that John records, 
is the same miracle that sealed Jesus' fate. Later in this chapter, in verse 53, it says, From that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. They made plans to put Jesus to death, all because Jesus showed himself to be the resurrection and the life. I want to spend the last couple of minutes considering Jesus' words back in verses 25 and 26, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is the kind of statement that our very faith hinges upon. Because if Jesus' claim is not true, if he is not the resurrection and the life, then our faith is in vain. We are of all people most to be pitied, Paul told the Corinthian church. But Jesus didn't just make this outlandish claim. He proved it for all the world to see. Right after claiming to be the resurrection and the life, he resurrected Lazarus. He gave him new life because Jesus is who he claims to be. I am, he said. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus said, I am. It's an exclusive claim because I am is God's actual name in the Old Testament. Yahweh means I am. When our God took on flesh, he called himself Jesus. But he remained the same Yahweh, the same I am, the same God who has existed for all eternity. I am the resurrection. No other religious figure in history has ever claimed to be the resurrection. Reincarnation, maybe, not resurrection. I mean, Hinduism has been around a long time, 2,000 years before Jesus gave us Christianity. Buddhism, 500 years before this. And as silly and baseless and untrue as reincarnation is, these religions would never claim something so outlandish as resurrection. Jesus didn't just claim it. He turned right around and showed it. And because he is the resurrection, we can cry out with Paul saying, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? In the life, Lazarus was dead. Jesus is the life. You and I were dead. Paul said, we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Jesus is the life. In the previous chapter of John, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Your heartbeat does not give you life. It gives you temporary consciousness in this world only. Jesus is the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Lazarus was brought back to life, but he would go on to die again physically. He's not still alive today in this earth. But because Lazarus believed in Jesus, because he had the same faith as his sisters, Martha and Mary, his soul lives eternally in the presence of the one who had already raised him from the dead. Jesus finished this claim asking, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Not just academically, but in a way that causes you to act upon your belief. Not just with the head knowledge that says, yes, I know the Bible tells me that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But with a life-changing faith, like Martha's, who said, yes, Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. With a faith like Mary's, that in the toughest of times brings you to fall at his feet, not just in sorrow, but in hope. Do you believe this? Because like Lazarus, you're going to die. Unless Christ returns beforehand, But dying is not the worst thing. It wasn't for Lazarus. Dying is not the worst thing. The worst thing is to die not believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Most of us in here, we know Helen Cook. She was a part of our church long before I was ever here. And last month, before Helen passed, as she was on her deathbed, She could barely talk. She was so weak. And she said, I want to die so bad. I can't wait to see Jesus. Imagine if Helen was not a believer. Imagine if she did not believe Jesus' claim. There's no way she would have looked forward to death. No unbeliever would say, I want to die so bad. I want to rot six feet under. But because Helen believed Jesus' words, she left this temporary life and she entered eternal life eagerly. Because Helen believed Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life, she died with hope and joy and peace. Her body ached, but her soul delighted in the thought of living eternally in the presence of the resurrection and the life. Dying is not the worst thing. The worst thing is to die not believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the hope that only your son brings. 2,000 years ago, he made the wildest claims that if we're not true, he would be the ultimate fraud. And then he turned right around and showed those claims to be true. He is God. He does what only God can do. 
He is the resurrection and the life. And because of what he did for us, because he turned around shortly after this and died himself and was resurrected, he paid the price for us that we may taste the resurrection and the life for all eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for those in here who are wrestling with the question of whether or not they believe, those who have decidedly said, no, I do not believe, I ask that your spirit, because of your love, would not let them go, would bring them to their knees before you, that they too could believe and enjoy the promises that you and you alone, dear Jesus, are the resurrection and the life. We love you. We pray this in your very name, Jesus. Amen.